everyone. This is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Bryn. I'm Zach, and today we are thrilled to have Liz Thomas with us. Liz Thomas, CMC class of 07, is a professional hiker, author, magazine contributor, and adventure conservationist who has hiked over 17,000 miles in her career, more than some cars. She holds a master's in environmental science from the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, is editor-in-chief for the online magazine Treeline Review, and has contributed to Backpacker Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times. She's the author of Long Trails, Mastering the Art of the Thru-Hike, which won a book award in 2017, and is currently working on a guidebook on Southern California waterfalls. We're excited to read that one. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. To get started, we usually like to ask our guests to talk about an inflection point, or a place where they had to pivot or adjust in their career or personal lives. Could you share one or two of those moments with us? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think a few of them certainly happened at CMC. The first one is kind of sad. My first year at CMC, um, my roommate, my closest friend at CMC, uh, who lived on the same floor as I did, and uh, my boyfriend all had a parent who passed away. And it was quite unexpected. And that really made me think about what was important in life because life is short and you never know what happens. And the idea of taking the path that I expected to take, which was graduate and sit behind a desk for the rest of my life, um, hoping for the day that I would retire and get to do what I really wanted to do, wasn't going to cut it anymore. Um, so the other example is a really happy time in my life. After I finished my first hike of the Appalachian Trail, and I was going to graduate school right after that, and I had planned to study uh, national parks or elephants in Africa. And after hiking the Appalachian Trail, I realized that trails, especially long trails, are such an interesting policy question because they cross so many different states and jurisdictions. And there wasn't a lot of literature on it because people had thought, oh, this is recreation. Who cares? It's not a serious conservation issue. And so that was really an opportunity for me to professionalize a lot of the things that I had been doing for fun up until that point. Hmm. Um, so in terms of like long distance hiking, it's is that the only sort of hiking you do or do you do like short day hikes or is, I mean, long hiking is what you're really serious about it seems. Yeah, I definitely do short day hikes as well. And the Southern California Waterfall Guidebook that I'm working on has really been a discipline in, okay, it's uh, it's all right to walk half a mile or a quarter mile, and yeah. it can be in some ways just as rewarding. Um, but also the big thing that I've been pushing right now, my new project is urban hiking. So walking all within one city's limits and doing 200 miles, uh, trying to capture what it what it's like to really be walking the streets in that city. So from our conversation so far, it seems like hiking is now your career. It's a huge part of, of your of your career rather than just a hobby. How does that impact how you feel about it? Has that changed anything for you? Um, I think part of, for me, a lot of it is separating the enjoyment of it and the professional aspect of it. And a lot of the career stuff is writing. So it is sitting in front of a desk at a computer, which I was trying to avoid doing. <laughs> uh, but it, it's reflecting on that experience and what it means for a, a greater community or greater policy changes. And I think being able to take that, that love of it and infuse it into my work has been um, really a blessing. 
Um, and can we talk about that sort of love for hiking, especially long hiking? There's a quote on your website that reads, long distance hiking will end up giving back way more or just more than you put into it. It will change you. You don't have to walk all the way from Mexico to Canada to get something huge out of it and have it change your life. How is hiking? How has hiking changed your life and how do you think it does change people's lives? Yeah, I think there's a few things. The first one is um, I think of the trail as a great leveler. When you go out there, everyone's wearing pretty much the same thing. You can only carry what you have on your back, so it's essentially the necessities. And so the sort of things that divide us, um, that become our identity, like what car do you drive or even what job you have, go away. And you can connect with people at a very basic human level. And it, it's a way to meet people who are from other countries, other states, different points of view, and all for one great little moment have the same goal of getting from Mexico to Canada or getting over this next hill. And everyone has that shared experience of, oh, wow, were you in that storm last night? That was crazy. And there's just not that many opportunities in our world right now where people who are very different can have those sorts of shared experiences. So I think that's one. Um, it really makes people reflect on who they are aside from all the stuff they've built around them. And I, I'd like to hope that the experience of going on a long hike makes people reflect on the importance of conservation having places like this. So my personal hope is that by going on one of these trips, people will um, vote for conservation, become advocates for it. So what you're saying about how that's a place where people can kind of get away from their daily life, um, that really reminds me of this concept of trail names that I came across when I was reading about um, a little bit about your background. So I'm curious, what, what is the concept of trail names and how did you choose yours? Yeah, I, I've heard that Burning Man is a little bit like this, uh, <laughs> where the idea is to strip away your normal name and identity and uh, and take on a silly name that maybe in some ways reflects who you are even more. And often it's tied to kind of a silly story. Um, and certainly in my case it is, um, which I could go into if you wanted me to. But I think that the other thing about trail names is that I often have a hard time remembering people's actual names. But with trail names, because there's this story, it, it gives it it imbues into people's identity in a way that whatever name your parents chose out of a book maybe might not. So your trail name is Snorkel. What's the story behind that? So when I first hiked the Appalachian Trail, uh, I, I actually started without a sleeping bag, which was a horrible idea. Um, to I, save weight? or Yes, to okay. save weight. And um, I hadn't really spent a lot of time in the South up until that point. And so I thought, hey, it's the South. It's going to be really hot. I, I won't need this. Um, and it that did not end up being true. So 30 miles in, I bought a very nice, very expensive sleeping bag. And uh, 500 miles in, I had the same bag and I walked into an outfitter and they said, oh, I, I said, um, you know, you sell the same bag, except your version looks fluffy and warm and mine is all sad and deflated. And they said, well, do, do you did you get it wet? And I said, no, no, I've, I've gone to special length to make sure it stays dry. And he said, well, uh, wh what else could it be? And I'm like, well, I stick my head in my sleeping bag. And he's like, oh, the moisture from your breath is condensing the down. You need a snorkel to stick up out the top. <laughs> so I never actually carried a snorkel. Uh, but it made me think a lot about how climate impacts how your gear is going to be effective. And out here in the West, usually the air is dry enough that you're not going to have 
moisture uh, gathering inside of your equipment like that, but uh, in a di totally different humid climate, that's something that can happen. So you hiked the Appalachian Trail solo, right? Um, the second time, yeah. And actually the first time I started solo and then I hiked about half of it with someone. I think a lot of women have heard horror stories about hiking by themselves and, you know, especially publicized by things like Wild, the movie that Reese Witherspoon just starred in about Cheryl Strayed's um, hiking in California. Lots of women are really warned against solo hiking. So what is that actually like? Um, I would say, you know, I've done a lot of solo hiking and I've knock on wood, never really had any issues other than um, from from perhaps an excessive interest of, of other people who are hiking. But, um, you know, like the Cheryl Strayed uh, story of those creepy hunters, like that hasn't happened to me. And I certainly do take some precautions, like I don't sleep near roads and I try to stay away from, camp away from populated places. But for the most part, all of my interactions have been really, really positive. And um, I've always thought that going into towns to get food was going to be the scary part, especially since there's usually some hitchhiking involved. Um, but every time I've, I've done it, I've just been overwhelmed by how, how kind people are and how safe it is. It's great to hear. When you're out on a solo hike, um, you're out there for a long time, especially for you who, who do long hikes. And so for some context, for the listeners, um, you did the Appalachian Trail in 80 days, and that was the speed record. That right. was the fastest that a woman has ever done it. Um, what's it like to be out there for so long on your own? Um, is it exciting? Is it emotional? Is it, it's, it's probably difficult. Yeah, I would say being alone is one of the big uh, transitions from going from a city to going on one of these long trails because our society, it's, it's just really weird to be alone. And, uh, you know, the Appalachian trail, because it's a popular trail, it's relatively close to urban centers. I, I would mostly see at least one person every day, but on the continental divide trail, uh, which goes along the Rockies from Canada to Mexico, Besides for my hiking partner, I didn't see anyone from northern Colorado to the Mexican border. I mean, I would when I went into town to get food, but that that was um, – I've heard that people – I was lucky, I guess, that I had my hiking partner, but I've heard that people who do it alone start talking to themselves, and certainly I think with the reduced social contact, people can get a little awkward afterwards. <laughs> so you list yourself on your website as a hiker, author, editor, teacher, and coach – and I'm curious, which, how do you balance those five roles and identities, and which do you find the most important right now? Um, that, that's a really good question. Um, you know, they're all kind of intertied in, intertwined in my mind. So if I'm working on one, I'm kind of working on the other, I guess would probably be the best way to say it. Uh, I really do want to get people to take the plunge, to change their dream of going on a long hike or even a shorter hike into a reality and to, to get them to the next level. And um, the, the, for example, the, the Southern California waterfall book that I'm working on, um, that's definitely has some writing aspects to it, but it's also, I have to hike to the waterfalls. So it's, it's really both. Um, as, as Bryn just discussed, there's a lot of things that you do. And you also talked about early on that you, um, it was hard, or you had to make a change where you were on one path, but then you realized, I actually want to be hiking as my career or in, in life. And so what sort of advice would you give to people who are trying to make a similar change to something that is maybe, um, I don't know, less secure or less conventional? Um, 
and, and or trying to move into something new, like writing a book or, or something else? Yeah, I would say um, some of the things that have helped me along the way is uh, my network has been really important. And it's funny because when I was at CMC, I was so resistant to the idea of networking. I was like, oh, it's merit and how good you are. And it's really turned out that the people that I've known along the way who who have been familiar with with the quality of my merits, but because I know them and they have an opportunity that's come up, uh, that's come up have been really, really important. So I would say take advantage of the people you know, and sometimes the people you know um, that you might not think have an opportunity might know someone who does. And it seems really random, but in retrospect, it, it makes some sense. Seems like your network is taking you pretty far in some places. For example, I know you give a speech on Capitol Hill fairly recently. So can you tell us about some of the ways that you're influencing conversations off of the chills? Yes. One of the things that I'm really interested in pursuing is advocacy and advocacy for long distance trails. And at least within the long distance hiking community, so people who go and hike for a long time, there's a little bit of a disconnect between the policies um, and the agencies that are involved and all these little tiny working cogs, uh, the, the politics really of what makes a hike possible. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people maybe wanna go to hike to get away from politics, but it's not possible. And I think as a CMC student, has made me realize this a lot quicker than maybe it has for some other people. So trying to reach out to that community is really important, but also to reach out to decision makers to show why this is so important for so many people. Can you talk about something you've learned in those conversations that you didn't really realize or that you think people don't realize about the politics behind long distance trails? Yes. So my master's work was on that, um, was on the relationship between management and um, long distance trails and all the stakeholders that are involved. And I would say something that people don't realize is that uh, most long distance trails, although they're administered by the Forest Service or the Park Service, are run in conjunction with a uh, nonprofit. So they're a public-private uh, partnership. And volunteers in particular end up making up such a huge portion of how those trails are maintained because something I didn't realize is, you know, if one has ever owned a garden, weeds are always coming up, bushes are always growing, you're always fighting them. And thinking about your little garden in your yard, how much work that is, think about doing a couple thousand mile trail. That's a ton of work. So it takes a lot of volunteers and that's made possible through that public-private partnership. Speaking of partnerships, I'm curious about sponsorships. Do you have sponsors or is that something you've ever considered and how does that influence your work? Yeah, definitely. So um, for many years as a professional hiker, getting a sponsorship was getting sponsorships to cover your lifestyle was, was the ultimate goal. So I did that for about five years um, until about two years ago when I started writing full-time for the New York Times. Um, and they have a very strict conflict of interest policy. So I had to give up all of my sponsorships. And since then, even though I no longer work for the New York Times, I've continued to pursue writing a little bit more seriously, um, especially about gear. And so I've decided to keep that conflict of interest policy for myself, um, just so that it opens a lot more doors for how I interact with gear companies. Um, what's the coolest place you've hiked? Or what's like the coolest scene you've seen? Oh man, um, the, you know, the first one that comes to mind is the Bailey Range in Olympic National Park. 
um, which is this kind of cross between a hiking route. It's mostly off trail and a mountaineering route and a climbing route. Uh, that that's pretty incredible. Uh, there's some scenes in the Sierra that that I really enjoy that also are off trail. Uh, yeah. Oh, I could, I could go on really. And and so when you're going like off trail, is there what sort of like personal responsibility are you thinking about in terms of conservation? And like, what's the duty that you put on yourself? Either to protect it, or you don't think about it that much, or you make sure that you're you know leaving behind something for someone else. Um, yeah, I would say there, there's some off-trail ethics. So um, one of those is minimizing your impact um, when it comes to trash or human waste, uh, your campsite, how you deal with water. Um, there's also other off-trail specific things like not building cairns, which are these rock piles that people use to, to follow. Because um, the idea is that when you're off-trail uh, that you have to navigate your own way. And I would say there's especially responsibility to leave behind your itinerary and give others who are in civilization idea of where you could be, because when you're off trail, it's um, especially hard to find you if, if something were to go wrong. So I'm particularly interested in your interest in urban hiking. How did that come about? And what do you like about urban hiking that you don't feel like you can find on more conventional hikes? Yeah, so uh, urban hiking came about because a random person emailed me on my website and said, hey, do you want to try this urban through hike in LA? And, you know, even though I went to school here in Claremont, I went into LA like three times to the Disney Center. And so, you know, I thought I knew LA and like, I did not know LA. And so they, they asked me to make, break the speed record. It was just um, this guy and his friends had hiked it and they were like, we know you could half our time. <laughs> so I went out and did it. And I was you know, I was skeptical, but I was thinking, I was living in Colorado at the time, and I was thinking, okay, you know, it's too cold to go in the high country right now. There's too much snow. So I can just count this as training. It'll be warm in LA, whatever. And I got hooked. And, uh, you know, the navigation challenges were, were really difficult. Um, hiking on pavement was incredibly painful coming from trail because it's cement and it's, it's really, um, I had all sorts of foot issues. But I loved getting to see um, architecture and people's gardens and historic sites and these cultural things and the people who could join me along the way. And so it became this, what I love about trails um, is this community and the connection you can have between yourself and your body and the area you're hiking. And you can get that same thing, urban hiking. What is, what is, what is urban hiking? Like, are you looking for areas that aren't urbanized inside cities and then hiking those? Are you sleeping on the streets? Are you, um, you know, going into restaurants for food? Uh, yes, I'm going to the restaurants for food. That's one of the highlights of going on an urban hike. Um, most of the time, I end up staying either at friends' houses or at Airbnbs or hostels or hotels along the way. Um, but taking that same sort of hiking, backpacking principle of being in a new place every single day, not returning to the same one, um, never retracing my footsteps, so always seeing new things. And creating this long 200-mile route that is never on the same block. Okay, so this isn't particularly in L.A., but you have one day in the Claremont area. What do you do? <laughs> um, I, would, I would say probably go up Baldy. <laughs> so the last question that we ask of all of our guests is, what is your personal definition of success? And how would you help students define success for themselves? I would say success is being happy with what you're doing and not feeling, I think something that's been really important for me is not feeling like I regret that, that I didn't do something. 
Thanks. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. To all our listeners, remember to stay hungry.